You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and today I am joined by Zoe from atfiction.fox. We're going to talk about our favourite movie adaptions as well as the new Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Please note there will definitely be spoilers. Hello Zoe, how are you? Hi, lovely to meet you. Uh, We are going to start with an icebreaker question today to get to know each other a little bit more. And our icebreaker question is, what is your favourite book movie adaption? Probably To All the Boys I've Loved Before. I actually, controversial opinion, don't like the books. I wasn't that into it. But seeing it, like the Netflix adaptation, it was so cute and adorable. And I loved all the characters. So it was such a great experience to watch the movie. I agree. I, controversial opinion as well, I know, but I thought that it was done really beautifully. The, the characters, uh, the father in particular, I really liked the actor who played the father um, in that series. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if they continue it. So I know that they've done one of the sequels, uh, but I don't know whether or not they're doing the third book as well. I'm not sure either, but I hope so. I think there's a lot of potential. A lot of people love the series and a lot of people who watch the movies have gotten into the books now as well. So win-win for everyone involved. Agreed. Uh, My favourite one is The Book Thief. So The Book Thief is one of my favourite books. And the reason why it's one of my favourite books is when I was travelling through Europe with a friend, I finished my book and we're in Berlin And my good friend who I was with was like, you need to read The Book Thief. I can't believe you haven't read it. So I purchased my copy in a bookstore in Berlin and I adore it. Uh, This would have been before the movie was released. And I thought they did such a good job of the movie. It was so tasteful and it was really emotional because the book is quite an emotional read. It's quite uh, soul destroying in certain parts of it. And I love Jeffrey Rush's hands. So it was just a little cherry on top that he's such a kind and gentle and versatile actor as it is that then seeing him in that role of hands, I thought was brilliant. No, I completely agree. I haven't actually read the book, but I did watch the movie when it came out before I realized it was even based on a book. And I actually watched it in a cinema that's kind of dodgy. So the sound wasn't quite right, but it meant during the scene where there's some bombings, the sound was just absolutely insane. It made you feel like you were right there. And it kind of terrified me, which helped so much to emphasize with what they're going through. It was one of my favorite movies. So I think we're quite similar then. We've both enjoyed similar book adaptions. Yeah, it's interesting. I was very interested to hear that. So Zoe, your bookstagram handle is at fiction.fox. Can you describe your bookstagram feed? Uh, Yeah, sure. So my feed's sort of like a cooler tone in terms of lighting. But I also have lots of pops of colours. One of my favourite props is little tea lights. So I always get my tea lights to match the colour of the book or the item that I'm showcasing just to help bring out all the colours in the photos. And I really like that you've also recognised you have a pop of colour because there is a through line of your, your orange and your pinks and your purpley tones as well that just lights up all my feed. Uh, when I'm looking through. You also have over 3,000 followers. I so- do. Proud of that, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And you're also a rep for at Book Nerd Fangirl. Can you tell me about how you became a rep? Sure. So I discovered the page and loved everything they saw. They saw like really unique bookish jewelry 
as well as some like metallic bookmarks, which I'd never really seen before. So I was really interested in the products that they sell. And then they had a rep search. So I was like, I absolutely want to try this out. You know, she's an Australian, which is even better. I love repping for Aussie brands. And so I just found some pictures that I liked. I tried to find ones that focused on items themselves. So not just books, but like any necklaces I had around, anything kind of similar to the products she would be selling. And so I made sure that they were focusing and the quality could show the details on those items. And then I put them in a collage and I just wrote about what I like, what I like on Bookstagram, why I think I'd be a good rep and submitted it. And she picked me, which is awesome because I've loved repping for her. I love her products and she's been absolutely awesome. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun in this position. That's good. And it's a win-win when you genuinely like the products as well. You're not just necessarily doing it uh, for any kind of exposure. You're doing it because you genuinely like the products and want to support an Australian business. So that's really admirable as well. Completely agree. I think that's part of the drive, really. If you don't like the product, you're not going to want to take photos. But it's really important you do because obviously I recognize I'm getting these items for free. You know, it costs them money to make it. It costs them money to send it to me, you know. Unless I love the item, I won't try and go for a rep position because I want to give back what they give me and make sure I get as many awesome photos as I can to help them out. And speaking of Bookstagram, are there other accounts that you really love? Oh, absolutely. One of my smaller accounts that I really like is one called Eternal Delicacy. She's a lovely human being and she has the most beautiful pastel photos. So she has perfect lighting, pretty pastel colors, super, super stunning. And then one of my bigger accounts I love is Book Book Owl. She has the most stunning bush bookshelves. They're super colorful, super bright, super pretty, super envious. I love them so much. But yeah, she takes incredible photos and incredible book stacks too. She gets real high with some of those. And finally, what is a book that Bookstagram made you buy? The Shadows Between Us. I saw her on Bookstagram, fell in love with the cover, found out about the blurb, heard everyone talking about it. So I went out, I bought it in hardcover because I'm so excited for it. And absolutely loved it. That's good that you enjoyed it as well because sometimes I know I can be taken by a cover of a book and when you when you start to see it every time you jump onto Instagram you start to think oh I really need to purchase that book and sometimes it can be a disappointment. At the book that Bookstagram has made me buy is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. So I've pre-ordered it. Author is V.E. Schwab and again I've seen a lot about this author across bookstagram but this will be the first book of theirs uh, that I'm actually going to read so I'm interested to see what it's like honestly so am I I've seen it everywhere and I know a few people who've got um, advanced reader copies who absolutely adored it and personally I was intrigued but the plot seemed very seems like it's over a long amount of time and that it's not much action it's more about the characters and I usually really like a good plot I wasn't too sure how to feel about it, but everyone's talked such incredible stuff. So I'll definitely either be getting it from the library or buying it, depending on what people think when it comes out. Because it sounds like it might be a really big thing. And another big book that we're going to talk about today is A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. So for those of you who are listening who have not heard of it before, it is the prequel to The Hunger Games and it follows the life of Coriolanus Snow who we meet in the Hunger Games series and that Katniss uh, inevitably defeats. Did I say the name right, do you think? Coriolanus? Coriolanus? <laughs> a hard one. I think it's like Greek or something. That yeah. was like 
one big thing. Everyone's names were so crazy and out there. Yes, agreed. And my, my roommate has read it as well. And we keep debating on how we think we say it. So it is based on him. I had no idea this was coming out until I saw it on the bookshelves at my local bookstore. So I feel like I missed the hype somewhere for it. And I picked it up without even really reading anyone else's reviews or anyone else's thoughts because I didn't care. I, I love the Hunger Games series and I was just ready to read something else about it and soak up every morsel of information about the world of Pan Am that I could. Why did you read the book? The Hunger Games is one of my favourite series. I actually read it back in like... Uh, start of high school. All the books had just been out, but it was before we knew there'd be a movie. So I got the first book from the library, read it all in one day, was absolutely obsessed. And so then I got the rest of the books as a birthday gift. So this series has been super close to my heart. Like I've loved it. I've been reading it for years. So the moment I found out there was a prequel, I had to have it. I had to read it. I had to go back into the world. It had been far too long. So I was super interested to see what was going to happen, you know, how would she go back into this world? And so to hear that it was from Snow's perspective, I was really interested because he's such an interesting villain. I find the villains are quite often the characters that are most intriguing, kind of like Elphabar in Wicked or in The Wizard of Oz, and even Maleficent as well. Those characters and their motivations behind what made them them are really intriguing. So I'm glad that the author, so Suzanne Collins, I'm glad that she actually selected the villainous character to do a bit of a backstory on him. I completely agree, especially since, you know, the start of the book, he's only, I think, 17. You know, he's young. He is still very manipulative and very intelligent but he's not the evil Snow we all love to hate in The Hunger Games. So to see his journey as he becomes that character was so fascinating. And did you have any expectations when you heard that there was going to be a prequel release? I had pretty high expectations, to be honest. Um, again, loved The Hunger Games so much, thought it was incredible story writing. So I was very interested to see just how far she'd go into it and what she'd be exploring, because other than it being voiced by President Snow, I wasn't too sure what exactly she was going to try and do plot-wise. So I actually had no expectations whatsoever and I was really surprised about Snow and how I started the story feeling sorry for this character, that he'd lost his parents, they were living, they were living in a state of poverty essentially and he had, him and his family seemed to have a really strong opinion about education and that he was educated. So for me, I was, I instantly thought this character knows what's important in life and knows that they need an education to get further. But by the end of the book, I had nothing but sheer loathing for this character. I've never read a book where I went from feeling sorry for a character to absolutely hating them and them being the protagonist. I completely agree. Like the entire thing, he becomes more and more evil, partly because he is more willing to justify what he's doing. Everything he does, he has a reason for it. And every time he speaks to people, it's fascinating his mindset in that he thinks ahead of what's the best thing to say to manipulate someone to do what I want. And that's how he thinks constantly. So to get into that mind space and read 
all these events from his perspective was so interesting. But I completely agree. He, he becomes the man we love to hate towards the end. Like he becomes a horrible person, but seeing his journey was just so interesting. And some of the things that happen along the way in his journey result in traditions within the Hunger Games themselves. So some of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was that it felt like a bit of a history lesson on the Hunger Games. And you learnt about why the citizens of Pan Am were, were able to bet and that ability that sponsors had to send food and the establishment of a mentor for each of the tributes as well. And another thing that I felt really intrigued by was the author's decision to create the arena more like a traditional coliseum and having a having known that one of her inspirations for the hunger games was gladiator fights so seeing that the author has actually used though that arena style and that coliseum in the sort of early hunger games is quite is quite interesting to then know that it's going to progress to what we actually do see uh, when the Hunger Games and each of the tr those trilogy books come to light. So I thought that was that was really well played. Is having a bit of a coliseum like arena. Was there any sort of traditions of the Hunger Games that you read about that you enjoyed learning? Ah, oh, that's how that came about. Honestly, most of them. I've definitely went to this book sort of assuming, you know, the Hunger Games has been going on, I think, for 10 years by now. You know, it'll be just like the Hunger Games we know, just a different arena, you know. But actually finding out that it wasn't like that at all and that sometimes they didn't forget to just feed the tributes and most of them would die before getting into the arena. It was so interesting to see where it all began and then to learn that a lot of the, the things that end up being implemented was no idea. Just stuff like feeding the tributes so that they can actually fight for entertainment and in like doing gambling and sponsors so that people actually did get interested in the games was just so fascinating to learn about especially when you go i don't remember the doctor's name but when you see their lab as they're creating different mutts and also the hint that they create a mutt that you actually do see in the hunger games seeing this whole new side the scientific side of the capital and how they were using that to sort of try and spice up the games was really interesting for me. I thought the same with their clothing as well. So it becomes quite clear that Lucy Gray wears the dress that she becomes a tribute in throughout the Hunger Games themselves. Whereas when we're seeing Katniss's era, we're actually seeing specialized suits being created and matching clothing for each of the tribute. One thing that I thought and it is a little bit of a criticism, is that it was difficult because it felt like the audience were not able to hear the tributes in the arena. Did you have the same observation that when people were watching in Pan Am, they couldn't actually hear what the tributes were saying in the arena? Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I didn't really think about much. I know there was like, again, only certain cameras in certain positions. So when everyone went sort of underground in those tunnels, you didn't get to see a lot of what was happening. Whereas obviously in the, the first Hunger Games, um, the 74th one, there's cameras everywhere. They see everything, they hear everything. I think that's really interesting, but I feel like that may have been more of a choice to in order to help the plot, because a lot of the times what the tributes talk about 
you don't want the capital seeing. You know, you only want Snow and the Tributes knowing about to sort of help the plot go forward. So I feel like it was more of a choice to help the plot than it was actually like an important history part of it. Yeah, I, I, I see what you mean about the plot. I hadn't actually considered that. I think in my mind, I was thinking that the Hunger Games is meant to be set in our future. So if we think about technology and the sorts of things that we see that are used on sporting fields or in other kinds of arenas, by the time that I would imagine that the Hunger Games occurs in this sort of dystopian world, that things like technology and having cameras on the tributes or you know, Bluetooth microphones where we can hear them. So that's, that's probably one of my observations is I felt like because it was meant to be quite futuristic as it was. I mean, if they're breeding all these mutations of different animals that we're seeing, how is it that audiences can't, hear the tributes you think about the kind of reality television shows that we watch like the bachelor and survivor or i'm a celebrity and get me out of here and we can always see and hear what's going on on those shows so i think it's quite intriguing or quite i i didn't necessarily believe that the hunger games itself wouldn't have had any of this technology for the the viewers of pan am to be able to tune in and hear and see I definitely see where you're coming from. I think because what the biggest thing the Hunger Games, uh, the prequels Hunger Games actually showed us was like not everyone was really into the Hunger Games. It was just sort of a thing that was more of a punishment. Whereas in the 74th Hunger Games, it's more of a spectacle, you know. So I feel like it wasn't much of a priority to sort of get like the camera and the recordings until it does become a spectacle because it was more of a punishment. It was just a reminder that, hey, we beat the district kids. You know, let's remind them every year. So it was more punishment than spectacle when it came to the 10th Hunger Games. But I think they definitely would have improved all of that as the years went on and more people actually got into the Hunger Games. Yeah, that's a good point that you make because they also, with things like not even feeding, with not even feeding the tributes or providing them with clothing that would have been suitable for the games, it clearly wasn't a, a priority for them to make it look good or sound good. And yeah, like you said, it was, it was in essence, it was meant to be a punishment. So there wasn't a large amount of money and resourcing and, and tech going into creating it. What did you think about the ending? The ending seems to be the most controversial thing that I talk to people about. I completely agree. There's, there's a lot that happens. I think Snow's journey, I think it ended quite well. He ends up doing some really horrifying things. Um, you know, his, this guy who thinks they're best friends, he considers him a brother, and Snow's just helped him out every time because it benefits him in some way to then be the reason this guy dies, you know, and then be welcomed by his family and become the new heir, the new Plyfe's heir, because they have no idea what actually happened between them. That was a twist in the gut. I was not expecting that, but I do kind of love it because it just shows how evil and like conniving he can be then obviously there's the big lucy gray question did she survive because he shot at her he realized that she may leave him and that he was super jealous and there was nothing connecting him to the murders if these weapons were gone and if she was gone so he shoots at her and we don't know if she died or if she survived personally i think lucy gray is very smart and i definitely think she's smart enough to survive for a while i don't think she got shot I think she avoided the bullets, 
stayed in the woods trying to get to presumably District 13, but I don't think she had what she needed to actually survive very long. So I think Snow didn't directly kill her, but she still died, in my opinion. There are some theories that Lucy Gray is Katniss's grandmother. I have heard of those. I've heard of a few people suggesting not necessarily just Lucy Gray, but some of the people in the Covey were actually uh, her grandmother. Mainly, most of the theories I've heard have to do with the Hanging Tree song and the fact that in Katniss's day, no one really sings it. Whereas people from the Covey don't really care about rules. They won't care if they sing this song, if they teach it to Katniss, which is why I think a lot of people think someone from the Covey, whether it was Lucy Gray or not, is Katniss's grandmother. And I do like the idea. I do like it connecting it in that way. I don't necessarily think there's enough to sort of make those assumptions. I don't think Suzanne Collins really wanted us to make those assumptions. But I, I like to think that they are connected. So my... My theory is that it's not actually Lucy Gray. I think it is Maud Ivory, who is her cousin. The reason why I think it's Maud Ivory is she is described as having a wispy frame, wears colourful dresses, often curtsies, pirouetted to show thanks, and also said to have a sweet, squeaky voice. And to me, reading about Maud, I was actually imagining Primrose, I know that Primrose perhaps wasn't as outgoing as Maud Ivory, but they had similar character traits in that wispy, wafy oh, kind, of, kind of character. And when I have read stories before of other series where they've connected different family members together, it's quite often the physical appearance that you rely on to give the little clues and hints. So that would be my theory, is that it's not actually Lucy Gray, it's Maud Ivory, her cousin. I actually really like that idea. I've never actually, whenever someone says, is this Katniss's mother, they always try and find parallels towards Katniss and whichever character they've chosen. But I think making a parallel between Primrose is actually a really smart idea. I never considered it, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. And then it further connects to the mother because the mother and Primrose are depicted as quite similar. So it could very well be coming from Katniss's mother's side of the family rather than Katniss's father's side of the family. So it's more suggested that Katniss is more like her father um, in looks as well as, as character traits. But we will see. Do you think we're going to get another book? I don't know. We waited a long time for this new one. I think because there are rumours that the rights for um, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes has been bought for movies. So I think if that movie does go well, then I think it's entirely possible we could. I don't know whose story you'd be telling. Personally, I'd love to hear more about Hamish and Joanne's uh, games, personally, because I, I love their characters and there's a lot of potential for those. But then the problem with those is you know how they won so that you know there's not that anticipation that you had with this book in particular so I'd like to think so but I just don't know what she'd write about to be honest I think the story as much as it has been told is already over my biggest question and the biggest gap that was left for me was Tigress I feel like I want to know more about her and what actually happened to her so partway through the book, I thought that Dr. Gall was going to use Tigress against Snow as a form of punishment and start to mutate her into that cat-like figure that we see in the Hunger Games. So I was waiting for something to happen to her. 
but she obviously falls from favor somehow. So we see her in this book as being Snow's perhaps closest companion and carer. And she's clearly not that when we, when we see the Hunger Games. So I think there's a bit of a gap. There's something to happen with Tigress. I completely agree. I think one downfall of the book is we are introduced to Tigress. She's an important part of Snow, but she doesn't really do anything else. You know, she is one of the characters where unfortunately you could get rid of her and not much of the story would change. So I think there is a lot because I definitely thought there'd be a reason that why, you know, she hates Snow and Snow hates her when they start this book so close. But we don't get that answer. So that is actually a great point. Maybe we will find out more from her point of view. Yeah, and she's one of the characters at the end of the story who's still close with Carolanus and he hasn't killed off. So for me in that ending, he it's very dramatic and very shocking and very twisting, especially with Lucy Gray, which is what you've mentioned. But for me, Snow had no other conflict resolution other than watching The Hunger Games. And watching The Hunger Games for those 10 years all he saw was people killing one another to deal with their conflicts and he was doing the same thing. So he did the same thing uh, with Sejanus. He did the same thing at the very end with Dr. Gall. He did the same thing or attempted to do the same thing with Lucy Gray. And we consistently see that killing and violence because he had no other way of dealing with these people. But Tigress hasn't yet wronged him. And so that's quite intriguing. I think that leaves a bit of a gap there. I do think another interesting thing, if that is towards the end of the book, we see him kill people. He's, he's over it. He's fine with it. And obviously we know he kills a lot more people. So whatever fallout there must be, Tigress has clearly done something or he's done something where he wants nothing to do with Tigress anymore. But whatever has happened isn't enough for him to kill her. Because we know he doesn't care about killing. He's more than happy to do it. I agree. I'm glad I finally got the chance to talk to somebody a bit more in depth about this book rather than a passing conversation. It's really good to sit down and have some concentrated time to talk about it. So thank you so much for joining me today, Zoe. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the Bookstorian podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian podcast.